Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast, sharing essential information on senior environments. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley. You know, magic wands are pretty hard to come by, but this month you're going to find that exclusive tool that you've been waiting for if you live with, design for, or work with people with dementia. I'll be speaking with Dr. Junji Huang of University of Stirling in Scotland about the Environments for Aging and Dementia Design Assessment Tool, or EDAT. This truly is essential information. And sticking with the why didn't anyone think of this before train of thought, what about a low-rise profiling bed with assistance for standing up? We'll have more on this in this month's Innovation Spotlight from Germany later in this podcast. Peter Kropenkin was a Russian historian, philosopher, scientist, and activist from the late 19th to the early 20th century. And one of his many profound musings is this, competition is the law of the jungle, but cooperation is the law of civilization. So here at Third Age Design, we research and share international information on senior environments for the Third Age. Now, I run a company in the UK called Park Grove Design, and if you're a designer or an architect, even if you're working in the UK, we're not in competition. We're all working to improve environments for older people, and we're going to take the same information, and all of us are going to interpret it differently within our own cultures or within our own school of thought. The key is to get the information to begin with. It's the kind of cooperation he's referring to, and indeed, a civilized way of moving design criteria forward in a very thoughtful manner. Now, you can be part of this by hitting the Join Us button on our website at thirdage.design. And when you do, you'll also receive this quarter's A Tad Extra, exclusive information for our community members, and it's free to join. The Third Age Design Podcast is sponsored by Anova Care Concepts, whose mission is to enhance quality of life through innovation. From hydrotherapy pools to furniture, you'll find quality, aesthetics, and functionality in all unique Anova products. Anova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Okay, let's get started. My guest today is Dr. Junji Huang, or Huang Junji, Senior Design Consultant to the DSDC, which is Dementia Services Development Center at the University of Stirling in Scotland. Now, prior to this post, he was at the School of Architecture at University of Sheffield, UK, where he was research associate. He's an affiliate member of the Royal Institute of British Architects, a member of the Aging and Society Research Network, a member of the International Association of People Environment Studies, as well as being a member of the Asia Pacific Regional Network for Early Childhood. Dr. Huang, hello. Hello, Laurie. Thank you very, very much for joining us uh, today. I had the opportunity of uh, meeting you at the uh, Care Show in Birmingham last year. And before we get into discussing the EDAT uh, design assessment tools, I'd like to find out what inspired you personally to work in this particular field. I recently came across to a phrase called um, accidental gerontologist, which is quite interesting and matches where I came from. 
uh, very well. So my background is actually an architect. Um, I work um, in China for a couple of years before I came to the UK to study my PhD. I'm particularly interested in human environment relations because when we do design, we always try to find out what is the best for us to create an environment that can help people to live better. And that's where my interest uh, sits on. And then in my PhD, I looked into children's social interaction in childcare environments, so far away from aging environment. So as you can guess, but um, the principles are quite similar because we all look into people or, or uh, people's behavior, people's activity within the environment and how and think about how environment can better support those people. At whatever age, so whether it was the early childhood or the yes, early... Yes, it's uh, early, early childhood, uh, preschool age. Um, after I finished my PhD, um, I joined several research projects. Um, one is called Odessa, um, Optimized Care for uh, for people to age better at home. So that's the um, research project. Uh, I, I built up my knowledge and my skills um, to, in the age-friendly age, age environment area. And after that, um, I, I also joined the Aging Hood, um, which is a project uh, collaborate with Thailand um, partners. So we look into the vulnerable people in a poverty area and help them to balance their uh, life and their livelihood. So this is also very interesting work. Um, we look into age-friendly environment as well. And then um, after these, I got the chance to join DSDC, um, where this is the most exciting chance for me. And also this is the uh, world leading research center and knowledge exchange center um, to share their skills uh, in age-friendly design, dementia-friendly design. So this is where I am. They're lucky to have you. And it's a, a place with a remarkable reputation all around the world, really, the DSDC and um, University of Sterling. Their website for the University of Sterling and the DSDC specifically states that research tells us that age-friendly environments can help foster healthy and active aging. That's made as a statement. Are there any specific examples of that research that says you can be healthier, you can be more active, and we've proven it within the research? Well, yes, um, there's lots of researchers come from different sources, not just within the design um, area, but also from um, health area. Those uh, research works particularly look in, for example, look into the light environment or the sound environment. There's a couple of these examples shows the evidence that different light level and different environment sound, um, uh, we will say the stimulate uh, environment can give people a different result of their, their health. So for example, if you have, for people living with dementia, if you have too much stimuli in the room when they are dining together, for example, and they will feel over stimulated 
and they will feel it's difficult for them to focus or uh, difficult for them to enjoy the the activity when they do in the room. So this is particularly putting a barrier for them to enjoy their daily life. And also there's some other researches, for example, from the thermal uh, thermal environment research. There is lots of evidence that different thermal level, the environment can provide to protect their health at home, um, which can help them to keep them warm at home during this cold winter. And also during the hot summer, there is heat waves and a better designed environment can provide a very good um, help for people to just to live better. There is uh, lots of evidence in um, existing in the literature that you can easily search on the library. You can find lots of evidence that um, can help with this um, particular issue. Yes, and we know that uh, as people get older, their circulatory systems become less efficient very often. And so, as you said, getting the the right level of of heating, making them feel warmth very often in interiors, we will even use colors to visually warm an atmosphere. You mentioned that the control of stimuli is important. And there are other schools of thought such as the butterfly model by Dr. David Shear um, at University of Sheffield, where there's almost a lot of stimuli. Um, and so there really are two entirely different schools of thought on this one issue of stimuli, is there, is there not? Um, well, particularly if you talk about dementia-friendly design, I think um, most of the thoughts were focused on how to reduce the stimulate um, to keep them uh, in a calm um, status. But of course, stimulate at different level, of course, would provide a different understanding for them to recognize the environment. So it depends on the level and the range of the stimuli um, where it goes to. For example, um, some of the research shows the evidence that uh, if you keep the stimuli in a more familiar way to the people living with dementia in a stable way, mm-hmm. rather than changing the lot or putting too much, um, too many stimuli in the environment, that can help us a lot for the people living with dementia and to feel the environment is friendly to them rather than right. yeah. and 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 known if there aren't a lot of yes. a lot of changes this becomes a, a familiar thing um speaking about the specifically about the edat tool yep. which is really remarkable i am making my entire design team <laughs> be incredibly familiar with all of all of these, and we would like to use the tool uh, on our projects almost as a, a tick list. I believe that is its intention um, yep. to make sure we're meeting all of these requirements. But it has three tiers from what I can see. There's an entry level called AWARE, and that's more for small changes to homes or small businesses. Tier two called Supportive, which is primarily domestic uh, environments. And then it further uh, becomes a further variation in tier two related specifically to care environments. And I believe you call that one inclusive. Let's start with aware, that entry level, and just picking out one of the fundamentals from this checklist. Why is the notification of time 
such as clocks and calendars, so important when people tend to use phones and digital watches. It's it's becoming rarer and rarer, in my experience, to see large clocks or large calendars. Is it necessary in this kind of environment? Yeah, when you talk about the time element um, in the fundamentals, it actually refers to the fundamental four called Be Familiar. Um, this helps people to orientate um, to the time when they need. So when we talk about this, we actually refer to their generation of this aging population at this moment and the, the, the people living with dementia at this time. Because back to their age, they would be more, you know, familiar with the tools that being used. For example, the analog, um, the clock, and also the the calendars. So, if you give them digital um, clock or um, like a form, they tend to not to be so familiar because at their age, then these some of the forms, maybe the form, smartphones, has been invented. Right, because if if people with dementia are referring back, let's say to their thirties, yeah, they, that wouldn't be. So, do you think in uh, sort of twenty years from now, we may be taking a different view as designers and architects on this issue? Exactly. Um, all these criteria or the uh, standards set out for dementia friendly actually will you know change with the population as well. When the population develops to next generation, we need to alter the criteria to match their, you know, their experience. And this is very important for this principle and very, very important for our our, um, our suggestions and, and our design work in this area. So everybody should bear in mind that things are changed, um, the times change. Um, what our design will also need to reflect those change. Right, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And do you think so? I've just touched on one of the one of the tick boxes uh, for this uh, aware entry level. Do you find in your work that most architects and designers uh, and in, indeed operators are already aware of entry level uh, principles, or are you sometimes surprised at the lack of knowledge? Well, I'm very glad you mentioned this. Recently, I've been involved in a research project called Dashka, um, design for um, housing for cognitive um, in, uh, aging. So mm -hmm. this this project was led by Professor Alison Bowles at University of Stirling. Um, we got the chance to interview um, a number of stakeholders in this sector, including like architects or designers or planners. From the result of the interview, we very um, surprisingly find um, some of the uh, people work in this area actually rely on others to have this knowledge. I'm not sure whether you know what I mean. For example, there's a planner. Um, when we ask them whether you know any kind of standards or design principles um, that can help um, uh, to build a dementia-friendly environment. The response is that um, they are not the architect, they are not the designer. So what they need is just to ask 
designer and architect for advice, and then they would that they would be able to you know just follow those advice. They tend to focus on their own you know area, and then because right. they are planners, so they 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 prefer to look at a more macro、um, view to see the whole. Setting whether it fits into the local community or in the city. So they speaking from that that area, but of course they don't have、um, very specific knowledge in this area. And therefore, they can't really necessarily interrogate the people that they're asking for the information because they don't have a guideline base for knowing the knowledge level of the people that they're re- referring to for this kind of information, which I think makes your program even more important. Because if you know that somebody, yes, we、uh, we meet, we use the EDAT toolkit. And we have that as a baseline for the decisions and the advice that we're giving you. Then that provides a baseline of knowledge、yeah. going into any one individual project, does it not? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that's also why it's so important to have the、uh, um some media like your podcast、uh, channels to be able to you know promote these kind of tools to general public people or um. Maybe wider area、mm-hmm. uh, who work in this sector, and for those who we interview have previous experience working with SDC, for example, yes, they, they are quite familiar with some of the tools we developed in the past. So, which is quite exciting when we do the interview with them, and we we heard about they are using these tools. That、uh, that's exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, make our day. <laughs> it comes. It comes back back around.、Yeah. Let me ask you about the next level, the tier two, which is the supportive checklist, which is another one like the initial one, which is entirely free、uh, to download. It's very detailed. It's very helpful. And I've been working in、uh, this sector for decades. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many.、Um, But there were some new ones on me,、um, and I research this all the time. So I, I, you know, I can't stress how helpful this is. One was、uh, a checklist box item number twelve for anyone that's look, going to look this up.、Um, is there a transitional space between outdoor and indoor spaces to temper light levels? Well, now that you mentioned the question, of course, when you go, you know, even into Uh, a movie theater and it's darker. Your eyes take a moment to adjust. If you're having perceptual problems and you're coming from a very bright outdoor into an indoor, of course you would need an adjustment. But I've never thought of that. It's never come up in any discussions. It's never come up in any design work that we've done.、Um, what an am- amazing thing to point out that it can be a consideration as to how you manage. That transitional space—is it just lighting? It, 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 do you find that you just do that with the lighting itself? A transitional space、um, between the outdoor and indoor actually is、um, some area. We, we also refer to gray space in, in some contexts. You know, it is an intersection area between the outdoor and indoor. And it usually has a overhead a canopy or Uh, sometimes maybe a a, a drought、uh, lobby, some something like this,、mm-hmm. provide a sheltered area. So, 
um, in your quotation, you you mentioned about the impact of of light, and it yeah, it specifically give lots of um strong points to you know temper the light levels. We know a sharp change of light uh, environment will give you probably temporary blindness. I don't know whether you have uh yes, like you said about uh, going into a cinema or during the night when you walk into a dark room um, from a very light room and you're, you you barely can see anything. So it's quite difficult to cope with that situation. Sometimes some people also feel dizzy during that situation. And for an aging eye, that will particularly the, uh, that will be more um, difficult because they need longer time to you know recover their eyesight. So the, the light, of course, is a, a very key point to give this smooth transition from outdoor to indoor, from indoor to outdoor. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, it's not just about light. A transitional space can provide more than that, definitely. Um, it creates a space that can encourage people you know, to enjoy the, the, the outdoor space in different type of weather. For example, if it's rainy, but you got a canopy over there. So you will be able to stay in the outdoor space, well, semi-outdoor space, rather um, prevent you from the, the rain, but you can still feel the outdoor. So it can encourage you to go out, to enjoy the outdoor life um, in, in different kind of weather. So it can become an invitation yeah to another part of uh, another part of life than just what you're experiencing in the building yes and also uh, besides that it also creates a very um introducing or welcoming feeling for example if you turn it back from the garden or from other area it the the the, the gray space or the transitional space can give you a feeling gradually lead you back to indoor environment and this kind of um, physical environment change can it's it's not the sharp change it's not the sudden change so you are not going from completely open outdoor to a completely enclosed indoor environment and that feeling will give you some you know um, gradually reduce your mood um, and change your your feeling through the way you walk back indoor something like this it's informative it becomes informative even if you're not stopping to think i'm now in a transitional space you feel the 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 transition sort of um organically in that in that circumstance yes you advise us of the difference between the tier two checklist and the uh, the supportive one and the next level, which I think is more for uh, professionals, care providers, et cetera, and that is called inclusive. What are some of the differences between those offers? Well, for supportive tier, uh, this tier two actually is aiming for um, care home providers or designers, um, architects, for them to build up their knowledge and check whether their design or their environment fits the dementia-friendly um, design principle. Yes. Um, this also, it, it, it's it's designed in a way that you 
um, can focus on different type of the building um, from the outdoor environment to care home, to uh, restaurants, um, to um, sports center, as and also some shops as well, and also domestic environment. So these are very specific, um, focus on different um, types of building. And it gives you a long list that you can check on each item, whether um, your environment fits the needs. Um, it also integrated with the essential um, pack, which can provide lots of essential requirements for, for every type of the environment. And that was, that was designed to uh, be used by those um, by those professionals in care home, um, a, like the manager of a, a restaurant or something like that. Right. But for inclusive, that's another level that we are currently developing this tool, and mm -hmm. it's not yet uh, come out. And we hope this can come out the next month. And um, we are working on that. And this is a very very intensive um, level that includes like planners, like um, stakeholders, for example, the uh, policymakers or the developers at that uh, at a bigger scale, on a bigger scale of projects. So what we are looking into is whether the whole procedure of the project will meet the dementia-friendly design. It requires not only the the design of the environment, the physical environment, but but also it require the chain training of the staff. Right. So that's a very all encompassing global yeah. look. And so I I think I may have misdirected earlier. So the supportive is really the the detailed checklist now for everybody. Yes. Including care providers, etc. But then yeah. there will be this other level, and this other level has accreditation to it. Is that is that yes. the intent? Can you yes. explain that for a moment? Yeah. Um it I'm not sure whether you mentioned about um which you've been misleading, but um Well, I think I, I was saying that I was saying that supportive uh you know is free and it will help with all sorts of you know different oh. types of work and i was kind of thinking that maybe the inclusive was more for professionals but i certainly as i as i already explained supportive i was finding things as a professional that i hadn't yeah. really considered before anyway so i was just trying to come back to yeah. that and say actually that is a usable tool for everybody right now. Yeah. So this further tool that will develop in the future, uh, what which is called inclusive, you've explained, uh, involves planners and operations and so, some other uh, f uh, facets, but it will also be accredited. So yeah. is that accredited through the university? Yeah, accredited through DSDC at the University of Stirling. So that's um, also the scheme is still under development for inclusive level for tier three. So we are not very sure um, the, the the final procedure, how it's going to take, but it will be a similar uh, procedure like in tier two, the accreditation in tier two. So there will be formal DSDC auditors to visit the project um, maybe regularly and to 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 assess the um, progress um, improvement and everything and to see whether they meet the criteria 
mentioned in this uh, in this tool. So right. the accreditation level actually now is set up in three different levels. So for the first level is aware, which is a self-accreditation, which means um, people can use this tool to assess their own home or a small business, for example, a cafe or a bookshop, whether they, they meet the dementia-friendly design. And for supportive, is um, they can be, the accreditation is dual way. So there's one way you can do a self-assessment for supportive tier two level. Which is the checklist, going through the checklist yourself and making sure that you've met the criteria or you've at least discussed them with the client. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there is another way in tier two as well. You can request DSDC to do a formal audit on your project. So DSDC will send two uh, auditors to your project and review the environment and complete the checklist and calculate the final uh, result. And then we will be able to see whether um, this environment meets the DSDC standard or not. So supportive provide two different ways, but for inclusive, that will definitely be the formal way DSDC will get involved and it will be a formal accreditation. It's, it's so wonderful to have at just as a designer, it's so wonderful to know that there is that level of support. I mean, certainly the, the Third Age Design podcast were all about sharing information and and learning new things. And I, I can't think of a more useful tool uh, where you're thinking, you know, I wish this had always existed because everyone's out there doing their own their own research and DSDCs, you know, known for this. To, so to have it consolidated is fantastic. Obviously, uh, we could do an entire podcast on any one individual checklist item. I mean, you could very easily, I'm sure you could give lectures on just, you know, one, each, each item. So we've just taken a, a little dab as a general overview, and we will have links uh, to this information on the thirdage.design website. So listeners can engage directly and, and download these documents and and make sure that they're looking out for for the uh, the new development when it comes. But I have one final question for you. If you were to envision the future of dementia care environments, and I know we already touched on the fact that you know clocks and calendars may change as environments change in the in the uh, future, but in a perfect world, how do you think they would differ these environments from what is currently being developed? But thinking about future is always a difficult one. I think um, many things may change, like we may have new furnitures, we may have new material, we may have new toilet design or garden design that can you know, provide better support for uh, people living with dementia. And also like the mobility ad, there, there were lots of developments on that as well. Um, but from my point of view, um, I think technology, especially the smart technologies, will put dementia care to another level. And most of these new um, tools mentioned earlier, they tend to wait dementia people to use them. But for smart technology, they really to look into the dementia people and based on their feedback, they can provide a very interesting a responsive environment to people living with dementia. And this is a kind of a very 
automatic way, we will say, for example, you 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 using AI to analyze the the data you collected from um, individual people, and then you will be able to provide personalized solutions to them. And this is putting the dementia care to really the next level. And we're looking forward to the demand development on this. Secondly, I would say that the public awareness about the dementia care and design is very, very important in a perfect world, like you said. So I think how to increase the public awareness is our task and our goal. Mm. Um, if we would be, if we could have, I mean, when we talk about the perfect dementia care environment, we should not just limit it, you know, to only the physical environment. It should always be a combination of both the physical part and the social part. So we need to make sure the social environment around people living with dementia are supporting them. So this will require the public awareness, not just the carers looking after them, not just the, their family members, but also people around them know about these dementia-friendly um, principle, dementia design principle, and care principle. So they then they will be understand how to how to support them. Um, I mean, like your podcast channel is a very very good example and good way to promote this to wider general public people and to different you know um, to people who who are not in this sector as well the people will be able to equip with these knowledges and mm -hmm. will be able to understand oh there is a tool available for them to use and this education process or to say the media the knowledge exchange the knowledge transferring system is very 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 important for the future perfect world for that so i really would like to thank you very much for doing this and you have been doing for already two series now, and you are doing more series in the future. So I really, really hope um, this series can be a very, very successful uh, way to get more people aware about what we, they should do to support people living with dementia. And engaged. Thank you very much for your time, for your input. When we can be of assistance in spreading that word, so when you have you know, the next stage of development is is uh, is completed. I'd love to have you on again to discuss how that has how that has developed and why and what the feedback is, et cetera, because I think that would be very, very interesting for all of our listeners as well. And thank you so much for your input today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as I just mentioned, you're going to find direct links to the Edit Toolkit on the podcast page for this episode at thirdage.design. You know, sometimes the simplest ideas can make the biggest difference. And while there are many, many profiling or hospital type beds on the market, Germany is often held up as an example of excellence in engineering. And here is yet another example. In today's Innovation Spotlight, I'm speaking with Yui Deckert of the German firm Wissner Bosserhoff. I did pronounce that correctly, didn't I? 
<laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My German is about as good as my French and Japanese, I'm afraid. Wissner Balserhoff specializes in nursing and hospice care solutions, and you seem to do an awful lot of research and development uh, work in your company. But today we wanted to specifically focus on your new Sentita SC low nursing or profiling bed. What makes that so different from other options currently on the market? Because obviously there are other low rise beds. So what, what is different about what you're doing with this? Yes, well, probably because I'm responsible for marketing and product management, I would find 10 of them, but uh, let me focus on the most four, four important um, the, um, differences uh, that I, I would highlight. Uh, the first is the design. So the design for a nursing home bed, in my opinion, is very important for us. It means it has to be home-like, and it has to be cozy so that mm, the resident is not feeling like in a hospital or uh, he is not stigmatized. Uh, so he really feels like at home. And uh, therefore we also together with our uh, standard um, line, we offer a hotel design collection, which uh, with textile fabrics and leather imitation designs, uh, which is very cozy and home-like looking. That's the first point. The second would be uh, the bed, Sentida SC, is ready for smart care. What does it mean? Yeah, it is prepared for uh, the intelligent care assistant SafeSense 3, which offers a wetness uh, detector to avoid skin maceration uh, when there is humidity or urine sweat in, in, in the um, bed. Mm -hmm. Then um, it helps for, for prevention. It means um, when, when the resident is going at night to the toilet and he doesn't come back after a certain time, this time can be fixed individually. And when he doesn't come back, uh, the bed sends an alert. So only when he doesn't come back. When he wow. comes back, no alert, nobody is, is um, embarrassed or so everything is okay. Um, then uh, it has some motion monitoring. It means uh, it detects whether the resident is moving enough to be protected against the decubitus uh, pressure sore. Yes. It means um, it only shows an alert, an alarm, when he is not moving a certain time. Uh, and this can also be um, fixed uh, individually because the risk of decubitus or pressure sore uh, is individual. Yes, of course. So that's the second. So the bed is uh, say, is prepared for smart care and uh, some um, in, in, uh, intelligent functions that uh, make the process for the nurse easier. The third function is we talked about antidecubitus. Um, it's a typical antidecubitus function. It is the double retraction of backrest, backrest and legrest of the bed. It's a constructional feature. I can tell you what it, what, it, what it is like. So while performing the auto contour setting, so backrest going up, legrest going up, yes, uh, there is some double retraction on both sides. And this way, uh, the bed is creating more space in the pelvic sector section for the, for the resident. Means it uh, reduces share for share 
and friction forces so that uh, there is a, um, yeah, a prevention for decubitus while doing uh, this movement. The so it's not, it's not like the other beds where it's sort of in a W, this is actually creating more space as it's making those adjustments. Because exactly. I, anyone who's been in a hospital bed, it, it, you can move the bed, but you still have to do quite a number of adjustments to the body to go with that yes. movement. And if you're not really mobile, that can be difficult in and of itself. Is that what yes. you're, this is dealing exactly. with? Exactly. When you do the, the auto contour, which is like this, then normally you get entrapped somehow, but the double retraction makes it this way. It, 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 it gives more space to the pelvis at the same time. It extends in both directions so that uh, the pelvis is really without shear and friction forces. Right. So th this would be the third third uh, uh, difference. And last but not least, I would highlight also uh, less restraint and more mobilization. So uh, under that headline, I would say we have a variety of mobilization tools and also a variety of split and short side guards uh, solutions so that at the end, um, the the nursing home can decide which level of um, mobilization and protection um, is is required, and uh, that for this we have um, a big big flexibility. Right. So the sides are not either just up or down. They can they can be used as is necessary for an individual. And the other thing which okay. I I really thought, why did no one think of this before, is this very simple Moby stick tool um, that is basically like almost the top of a cane set into the bed frame that you can sort of, it looks as if you can swivel and use to assist yourself in standing up from the bed should, should that be required for a particular um, patient. Is that correct? Exactly, the mobile stick is made for more autonomy for the resident. So uh, it can be pulled out uh, by himself uh, to assist him getting up easily. Um, by night when there is nobody, yeah, he, he can do it himself using the mobile stick, but also during the day to, to uh, become more autonomy, to get uh, entrained and uh, to get mobile by himself. Yes, and also using our muscles, and it just it, it's overall a mobility assistance from from the look of things. Now, the low position on this bed appears to be about twenty three centimeters, or for our American listeners, that's about nine inches. So, would you still use a crash mat with these, or would that become a pinch point? Do you do you not use them with the low profiling bed? What's your advice on that? Well, first of all, thank you for that question, which is really a very good one. And I think in, in the practical use, um, the habits are different. Um, honestly, we would not recommend a crash mat um, because in my opinion, it doesn't really provide more safety. Um, plus it can also become an additional fall risk for the resident. Just uh, trying, just, trying just to stand lying. up on it because it's exactly. not, yeah, it's too to soft. Work. Yeah, to walk, it's too soft, and and when he, at night he goes to toilet, uh, it can really become a kind of a trap or of uh, an additional fall risk, let's say. 
But why I'm um, sure that it is not necessary is we provide today so many functionalities to, to, to keep to keep the resident safe at night. Already the 24, 23 centimeters or nine inches are so low. So when you have additionally some, some, some side guard protection or some, some even a mobility aid in that area, uh, which is beside the shoulder, uh, would, would not make uh, the, the resident fall uh, dangerously. He could just slip out of the bed, but not, not really fall with his whole body down from the bed. Therefore, um, I, I, I think the risk uh, with a, a bed like a low bed like this is not given. Plus, there are, are additional tools, like I said, the Mobi stick or a side guard, which can help to prevent uh, any risk. Plus, there is uh, the intelligence system with the out of bed alarm, for example which helps uh, to signalize when somebody is going out, uh, out of bed and to be there on time and to protect him. So therefore my answer would be um, probably, yeah, this kind of crash mat is not um, state of the art uh, today, but uh, it is still used. And in some cases, maybe it still makes sense. It always depends on the individual. Uh, yes given facts. Well, that's what this bed seems. This is why we wanted to have it on the innovation spotlight. It seems like it's so customizable that, for example, let's say you had somebody with advanced dementia, you might always leave the sides up. You might, you, you know, you might use, use the bed in a different way. Um, you might not want exactly. them trying to figure out what the buttons are doing, for example. So you, you could exactly. still customize uh, what you were doing. It's not just a, a standard bed, as I understand it. What would you say exactly. is the cost differentiation on just a percentage basis, not an actual cost? So if you say you were to take one of um, Wissner Bosserhoff's basic beds and yes. compare it to the cost of this one, how much more expensive would this one be? I'm guessing it would be more expensive because there is a lot more going yes. on here. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's clear that quality has its price, but uh, the difference is not that that high. So the difference is, uh, let's say, around 20% between a basic bed and, and um, high quality Santita bed. Plus, you have uh, the possibility, as you said before, the flexibility uh, to have many choices to, to have the, the bed uh, depending on your, um, let's say policy or your, your needs and individual needs. It means um, in the middle, it would be like uh, 20%, but at the end you, you can choose a bed from uh, a big variety of options, which is really fitting into your needs. And, uh, there, of course, a Sintida bed has more uh, possibilities and options than a, a simple basic bed. So if you had a budget, you might do a certain number of Sintida if you couldn't afford to do all of them in Sintida, but you could still have them in the mix of what you were offering. Yes, uh, but also also the Sintidas, we have, we have a basic price, I have them in a basic price range, and then you you only choose uh, the options that you really need. So you decide what is your preference. So for example, only head and side, uh, side guards and uh, only 
Mobistic, this is a preference, but other other options uh, you you don't take it. So uh, there's a big choice, and at the end there's also within the Semtida uh, range there's a basic price uh, segment, which enables uh, an economic compromise. Right. Okay. So it's, you've obviously thought all of this through. I'm not throwing you with any of my questions, which is which is a good sign. Hopefully. Um, I really want to thank you very much for introducing us uh, to this product. And just to say that we're going to put direct links to it, um, more information on the Sentita bed and the Moby stick on the podcast page of this episode at thirdage.design. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Just a quick look then at our TAD International Events Calendar for 2023. In February, the CARE Show in Tokyo, Japan will take place from the 8th to the 10th. Too early for cherry blossoms, but not for sake. In fact, it's never too early for sake, or too late. The Senior Living Executive Conference will be held in New Orleans, Louisiana, USA from the 8th to the 10th of May, and in Antwerp, Flanders, the International Conference of Integrated Care will take place from the 22nd to the 24th of May. You'll find more listings on the events page at thirdage.design, and let us know via the contact page if you have an event you'd like to see listed there. Thank you to today's special guest, Dr. Junji Huang of the University of Stirling in Scotland, to Yui Deckert of Visner Bosserhoff, to our producer, Mike Scales, to Valerie Adler of The Right Website, to Peter Thorne, who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute, and to our sponsor, Anova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Finally, to you. Thank you for being part of a community who believes we can improve senior environments together. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and I do hope you'll join me for the next one. Mm -hmm.